0: Hello, welcome back to We Bought a Mic for our special coverage of Tribeca 2021. Very special episode today for you. My name is Ernest.
1: Um, My name is Hunter, but I do want to say, Ernest, you're getting closer and closer to like a street carny. The way you're like getting really close to like, come on, come all to see the podcast. Hello, Uh, But I'm Hunter. (laughs) Hello, hello.
2: (laughs) I am Drew, the all-knowing weight guesser. (laughs)
0: The
1: great bearded Drew. Yeah, I guess. Look, I just, I want to tell the listeners they can't see because this is a visual or an auditory, Jesus Christ, auditory medium. Um, But I trimmed up the beard for this interview because we had such a special guest on. Yeah, yeah, special guest, Hunter. That's that's why.
0: We have the honor, the privilege of welcoming Jenna Malone to the show. An interview with Miss Jenna Malone promoting her new movie Lorelei. Um, I actually didn't get a chance to see this movie, but you guys had a chance to see it and talk to her.
2: Yeah, I was just telling Ernie uh, off pod, like watch the movie because it's it's out of everything we've seen thus far, it's the most like baseline emotionally affecting movie I've seen probably this year in general. It's very very mm-hmm. effective. Um, it's produced by the team that made the *Florida Project*. And so it's sort of similarly. It's it's a tale of poverty and uh, parenthood and how the two intersect, and also because of our protagonists, it you know it deals with incarceration and reintegrating into society. Uh, really, really heavy themes, but it is a. that doesn't mean that it drags, you know what I mean? It's, it's a delight to watch incredible performances all around.
1: Yeah. It's, it's just like a really, really well done indie romance, which I mean, I am kind of a sucker for a lot of those movies. So this was like right in the bag for me, but even so like like you said drew there's not a dull moment it kind of keeps moving and it is elevated by its performances in the best possible way i mean jenna malone is incredible in everything she does why don't don't you why don't you talk for a minute about your personal history with jenna malone um no i mean i have been i mentioned on the pod but i have loved jenna malone since i was probably like eight or nine years old and I first saw Donnie Darko. Like, I've just always been... Her and Jake Gyllenhaal, I was just, like, right all in on this... These two people. And still to this day, they're two of my favorite people alive. I mean, Jenna is now... Worked with people like Nicholas Wending Refn, Zack Snyder. Uh, we her. bought a mic. We bought a mic. Mm-hmm. So we we are one degree away from uh, Zach Snyder being on the podcast. And frankly, zero away from Jenna Malone. Um, she, Maybe we should aim for Richard Kelly. I don't know what Richard Kelly's got going on these days. We could probably get him on. I would love to talk Donnie Darko with Richard Kelly and tell him Honor, it's the, like one of my favorite fact, movies ever.
0: The fact that you watched Donnie Darko when you were eight years old, I think explains a lot.
2: Yeah. yeah, it also yeah, it explains
0: very <laughs> young age for that film.
2: Yeah, it also explains a lot. These are your two her and Gyllenhaal, your two childhood crushes.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I, you know, we've talked about it before on a different episode, but how you and Ernest, uh, you Drew and Ernest were like the two most obnoxious people in the world after you saw Inception. That was me, but I was in like third grade telling kids about, uh, time travel and Donnie Darko. They're like,
2: what the fuck are you talking about? They're like,
1: can can we just like play like Foursquare or something? They're like, like, oh, cool. Have you seen Shrek?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Jimmy timmy power hour
1: yeah i'm just I'm like ah power- uh, cartoons they dull the senses <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, well it was a pleasure to have jenna malone on um yeah it was
2: it was great to have her it's the i, I can't speak toward the movies i haven't seen and haven't been a part of the interviews but it, I'm, I'm on interview number three now these are all genuinely movies i would recommend uh this one premieres as we're recording it premieres tonight i think that there's a good chance it picks up steam here because uh mm-hmm. it's very very well directed uh, and well acted
1: yep i could definitely see it uh, getting a big push it's i did find out because we were uh kind of didn't know for sure how long these movies were going to be available through tribeca they're available through the 24th so you still have time to watch this dating in new york catch the fair one and all the other uh films that we've talked about
0: yeah, and, and actually this is one of those that was supposed to premiere at last year's festival, but then got pushed because of COVID. They didn't even do Tribeca last year. So this is one of those that's getting its fair due uh, this year after being um, shuffled from the, the 2020 slate. So without further ado, here's our conversation with the one and only Jenna Malone. Enjoy.
1: I'm delighted to be joined by Jenna Malone, who is here promoting her new film Lorelai that is premiering here at the Tribeca Film Festival. Jenna, how are you doing today?
3: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Of
1: course. Thanks for being on. Um, first of all, I wanted to start, um, how did you and Sabrina, the director, meet? And what was it about this character of Lola that drew you to the part?
3: Uh, I mean, we, you know, she sent me the script. I read it. I loved it. We met and chatted about it. Um, uh, there was multiple things that drew me to the part. I mean, I grew up with two moms, uh, you know, who were below working class, uh, worked three or four different jobs each. And, you know, we lived a very wild kind of life. Um, I had multiple siblings and you know, it was like six people in a one bedroom apartment. And so the story of uh, Dolores and the sort of setting was one that I was very familiar with um, and felt like protective of, you know, like if it wasn't going to be me, I would be a little bit uh, pissed if someone got certain subtleties wrong about that type of um life you know um yeah and i i mean i just i liked the themes that she was doing i mean I, i think there was a lot of really important uh reclamation work you know particularly in pablo's character of uh what it is to be a man what it is to be a father what it is to be a partner um and as a as a woman in dolores's case like you know i mean if this film if she was a man, you know, and she left her kids to go and pursue her dreams, that's a very typical story. I mean, there's mm-hmm. probably 300 story films that have At been least. made about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, but there's, story. Very,
3: there's very little films made about, uh, you know, mothers leaving their children to pursue their dreams. Um, because it's not part of the social norm. It's not part of how we understand uh, or what we want um, our single mothers to be. Uh, So it felt really, really important to kind of, you know, bend that bias and explore it a bit, you know?
2: Yeah, the the movie really, it feels like it does quite a bit of that because we're getting a very authentic feeling uh, version of poverty on screen which yeah. you really you don't honestly don't see a ton not to belittle any other films but <clears throat> hillbilly <algae>. um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um but it, also there's such spe- specificity in your character i thought because lola is you have to be so incredibly magnetic uh but also sort of frustrating to the viewer but yeah. all, but not enough to lose the viewer so how did you go about balancing that because you're making choices here and there that are disagreeable, but in the end, we yeah. still need to be rooting for you.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of trust work, right? So if you're kind of playing someone that's making moderately despicable choices, um, you have to just kind of go full frontal uh, and let the director kind of ride the edge of the tone, you know, and that happens in the edit, that happens in choosing which take to, to allow. And, um, But I mean, most of it was written in there. I mean, I think that we always think that um, showing very human people on the screen makes us not like them. (laughs) But I've always felt like it's the opposite, you know? Like when I see someone who's really clumsy and making mistakes and like I said, being, you know, moderately horrible, um, it kind of endears me to them, you know? Like it Mm -hmm. makes me want to like, it makes me think about those times that I felt like a bad mom or I felt like a bad friend or a bad partner, you know, and it allows me to kind of have a catharsis moment, you know, whether or not I'm ready to have that moment. Um, so yeah, I appreciated that she was a very complex character, but you know, uh, I think this, the sweetest thing about Dolores is there's just a light there, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think regardless, of people's circumstances and um, situations in life. I mean, that's the unsung hero is the light that doesn't go out, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, that central theme of the film, uh, that kind of touches on characters or humans that are just stuck in their life, I think is just such a relatable and human message that everybody has reached that point in their life. And I think that the film does such a great and beautiful job of portraying that um i did want to talk about uh pablo schreiber um who's your co-star yes um your chemistry the two of you is just excellent i mean you both like really capture that feeling of trying to rekindle this lost high school love and trying to run it back and see if the magic was still there from so long ago was there a long rehearsal process, uh, that you had to try and capture that spark or did that just kind of come naturally that chemistry?
3: Uh, there wasn't a long rehearsal process, but I mean, I think, you know, Pablo, Pablo and I are kind of old pros, you know, we, we, we knew, we knew what we needed. He, we went out to dinner a few times and sort of found the different things that worked and the different things that wouldn't work. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the sort of, you know, that's the risk of, of just casting So you just don't know, you know, you just don't know how two humans will just stand shoulder to shoulder with, with each other until you do it, you know, cause you can get along in rehearsal and then it doesn't transcribe. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, um, you just kind of have to, it's like, that's the trust work. That's the alchemy. That's the magic of making films is just, um, trusting your choices and also, uh, hoping for magic. So,
2: yeah, well, I mean, speaking toward that, we got to talk about these kids cause they're, oh, wow. they're carrying <laughs> so much of the emotional weight in this movie and there's a whole lot to carry. Yeah. Um, and they're, I mean, it's, it's pretty astounding how well they do. They, they more than hold their own alongside some really incredible adult performances. Uh, so w- what's it like like rehearsing and acting with the kids in scene though, because you're, you're acting scenes that carry, you know, like I said, like very adult, like weight to them. So, you know, how, how do you go about sort of balancing, you know, the, we're acting with the, you know, we need authenticity in the scene.
3: I mean, I sort of am a mama bear on set. So even before I became a mother, um, if there was ever kids on set, I was sort of like, okay, they're, they're mine. Like everyone else can just leave. Like, I know what they need. Like I know like the snack routine, the homeschool routine. Like I know what angles I'm going to know. I know like how they need to rehearse. Like I, I love working with kids, um, but there's, uh, there's a way to do it that can really protect their journey. um, and also protect their magic because they're going to be bringing something very unique, very fresh, Um, but they also need to be supported, you know, in very delicate ways. Um, so Francesca was very open to me, given all my tools. Like I was like, all right, this is everything I know about what I think that these, these kids need. Um, but really, I mean, it, it has to just start with them because they have to want it, you know, and they have to have a certain reservoir of bravery to be able to even show up to set you know, Mm -hmm. because it takes a lot to uh, reveal yourself in that way with strangers. And so I think Francesca found three incredible, I mean, Chancellor, Amelia, Parker um, were incredible, you know, and they showed up every day um, with choices in their mouth and vulnerability on their shoulders and just like ready to do the work. And, you know, and when it got Complicated. I mean, in some of the scenes where it's like, you know, parents fighting with their children and children saying horrible things and parents saying horrible things back. Um, I mean, that's nothing new, you know, that's something that we've all experienced and we just don't have as much language to talk about it or alchemize it. And so if you can allow a space for a child actor to feel comfortable there and safe there and like know that well this is something maybe even you've experienced or how does this relate and there can be there can be some catharsis so I I don't know I I think it's important to kind of do those that kind of work sometimes with children um because it allows them to have a space to talk about it and a space to hold it um, because yeah it's not like it's never happened before you know i feel like every parent has said something horrible to their children and vice versa so it's it's you know it it didn't it didn't seem like groundbreaking what we were doing but mm. it is you know you have to you have to build trust and you have to go slow and you have to make sure that everyone has their boundaries being met and their needs being met you know they feel respected and seen and heard
2: yeah, it's all. Anytime you speak with a child actor or former child actor, they they'll say it's plenty of the performance goes back to the environment on set and yeah. whether or not they feel comfortable to perform that way. And you know, this this is produced by the same team that made Florida Project, which obviously right. had one of the more memorable child performances in the last decade or so. And this really yeah. follows suit, with times three. Um, yeah,
1: really I know, good a lot stuff. More. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was especially seeing I mean, because we get both sides of the coin, right? We get seeing you having a great time doing the karaoke with the kids. And it's so cathartic and beautiful to watch. And then we see the scene of you and Amelia screaming at each other and throwing the vase. So it's I mean, that yeah. it, both of the sides of it are just so, so well done. Um, Jenna, I wanted to ask you if I can like zoom out a little bit from this film and look at your career as a whole you've worked with some of the greatest auteur filmmakers of our generation. I mean, when you look at Sam Raimi, Richard Kelly, Joe Wright, PTA, Nicholas Wending Refn, just to name a few of them, is there a certain approach that you take, uh, when deciding which filmmakers you'd like to work with?
3: I mean, I want to make, I want to work with good ones. So, you know, it's pretty easy to tell if someone's full of bullshit, right? Like right Mm -hmm. away. Um, I don't know. I mean, the, the thing that those people have more than anything is they're writer-directors, right? They, right. They, they're not just stepping into someone else's project. <clears throat> They've developed it. They have a tone. They have a vision. They have, you know, everything aligned. Um, yeah, I don't know. But you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be Paul Thomas Anderson to make an incredible film. So it's also trusting your instincts to be able to still be brave to work with first-time filmmakers, um, giving people opportunities to explore uh, their auteur you know. Um, But I'm pretty game. I mean, I'm a pretty game actor. So I think that directors are also pretty stoked when, uh, you know, there's actors that just aren't afraid to kind of go anywhere, you know.
1: Yeah, I'm sure the malleability and the type of performances that you can give makes a lot of these filmmakers uh, want to gravitate towards casting you in the role. Um, One follow-up to that, is there any filmmakers out there that you haven't worked with before that are like on your bucket list or checklist that you just love to make a film with them?
3: Yeah, and I'm going to have to look up the name. Hold on. I just watched this film that I'm completely obsessed with and here it is um ali abisa who did border oh yeah 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 of course yeah um, i want to I work on every single project he he ever does in the future i I'm, I'm so ready i'm like gonna start hunting him down i just finished writing him a letter that i'm gonna try to send him
1: <laughs> i would love to see a project between the two of you border is a is a beautiful beautiful oh my God,
3: I loved so it. yeah I loved it so much <laughs> i've been affected by a film like that in a long
1: time yeah. um i know that we are running low on time here so i do just want to ask you um a couple more questions uh first of all um where did you uh shoot this project and regarding those locations do you have any insight on like how this felt so lived in like this felt like a real town filled with real people. Yeah. Like how were you able to translate that? Yeah. Down to production design. If you have any nuggets, because
2: this felt so unbelievably authentic and it's like, it, it felt as though you just walked into locations and didn't change anything in shot, but I know that that couldn't yeah. quite be the case. So what, what, what sort of locations were we dealing with?
3: I mean that, I mean the fish, you know, stinks from the head down. So, right. So if it's good, it's it's usually the person mounting the project. Uh, Francesca had a very clear vision of what she wanted. And she brought in, you know, our production designers and the DP and, you know, everyone who was on board about creating something that felt really authentic. Um, but it, it helps, you know, when you're not shooting in a sound studio in Hollywood. I mean, you know, it's mm-hmm. like there was some spaces, um, you know, we were working in Oregon, uh, kind of right outside of Portland in some of these smaller towns. Um, and there's a great film community there, you know, every down to every extra that we cast, every cast member that was hired locally, they just were incredible, you know? So I think that, um, you know, and Francesca had done a, a good amount of research on that region and, you know, that, those, that, situation in life and those kind of men and I think it's through research that allows you to know what is real and what isn't, you know
1: mm-hmm. yeah, I mean that comes through one of the biggest pet peeves that I have is whenever I'm watching a film that's supposed to be like a uh, small town in Kansas and you can just tell they shot it in the valley and you're like, this is not <laughs> there's nothing about this that is authentic. Um,
3: yeah, but some people don't know that. so it's just yeah. you know it just depends on it just depends on your audience, I guess.
2: Yeah, it's I don't know. It's it's just it's very easy to shoot and even act these things and have it feel very much like an outsider's perspective on what it must be like and that's that's not the case here. Um yeah, so that's I, cool. I
3: well, appreciate you guys noticed that.
2: Oh yeah, I mean like so I mean congrats on your part. Congrats to everyone involved because uh it's it's really easy to to fall into that trap at, at least from another outsider's perspective watching films like this. Um Wrapping up, we the the most critical question that we have. We're doing uh, a quick series on the films of Mr. Nicolas Cage. And, okay. Yeah, and so we're trying to get as many takes possible as we can uh, from Tribeca on Cage in general. And then if you have a favorite performance of his, what would that be?
3: I mean, somewhere between Raising Arizona and Face Off, I guess.
1: Uh, that's, I mean couldn't you guys best those are two of the best performances <laughs> that he's given his entire career so yeah and that's so, some range in cage performances too right there between those two movies
3: yeah sort of sums up yeah my cage childhood experience too with them so
1: <laughs> those are great answers uh thank you so much for your time jenna i really appreciate it you've been one of my favorite actors since i first saw you as a kid in Oh, seeing sweet. Donnie Darko I when I saw Donnie Darko when I was like eight years old I was like who are these two people and it was you and Jacob <laughs> I was like buying all in on the stock I didn't even know what stock was I was a child but I, <laughs> since then I've loved uh watching your career grow and Thank it's you. been an honor to have yeah. you on the podcast absolutely um Please. That,
3: hopefully hopefully I yeah hopefully
1: welcome done. back anytime
3: <laughs> anytime <Right. laughs>
2: yeah that's the laid on two things, but in addition to that, uh, in the this movie premieres uh, you know, on recording date tonight at Tribeca, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh so obviously best of luck on that. It feels like something that's gonna end up catching a lot of eyes wherever it ends up. Uh, and in the very limited amount of press that's already available or you know, like very truncated reviews, I can't tell you the amount of times I've seen elevated by its leads. <laughs> but, as, as a headline and that that's yeah that's very well, i guess true.
3: it's better than being sunk by the leads i mean that's, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, yeah yeah elevation is so one you want to shoot for <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: so, so truly uh, congrats and thank, thanks for coming on the podcast we
3: appreciate yeah, of it course.
0: all right thank you so much to jenna malone for coming on the show what a blast what a pleasure Ernie yeah. you were
1: kind of quiet for that one.
0: Yeah, I I wanted you guys to have your moment, you know.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you. You you just like saw me. We'll have to upload a screenshot, but I'm just like smiling like a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I let you guys
0: take it cuz I I haven't seen the movie yet. I really really want to. Um this is high up on my list of stuff to get to before the end of the festival. Yeah. Um
1: But yeah, yeah thanks thanks, to Jenna. thanks again, Jenna. I I mean, it was an honor. Yeah, very worth,
2: very worth your time, worth the viewers. I think after Tribeca, we'll sort of do a roundup of where all of these films end up, yeah. um, mm-hmm. like where, where the listeners can find them, because I'm interested to find out, you know, that a lot of that, a lot of who picks up the movie determines how well it ends up doing.
0: Right. Yeah, I, I think it's it's going to be interesting to see like what kind of stuff gets picked up by like a studio that's going to put it in theaters yeah. versus like a Netflix or something like that. Right. So, That'll be interesting to see. Best of luck to Jenna and the rest of the team with Lorelai. You can also check out all these other great interviews that we have with filmmakers from the Tribeca Film Festival by following the show and subscribing on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please visit our website at weboughtamike.net to stay in the loop with everything we got going on and coming up. Uh, donate if you are able to thank you all you beautiful donors for donating and follow us on social media at we Bought a Mike. Uh spread the love spread the show recommend it to your friends and we'll see you next time thanks for listening Bye-bye. bye bye bye